You're listening to Buff Speak, the official podcast of the Paul and Virginia Angler College of Business at West Texas A&M University. I am Dr. Nick Gerlich, your host, as we meet up with the thought leaders making an impact today. Ever since large numbers of people started buying cars a century ago, roadside business has sprung up to attend to their needs. Uh, gas, food, and lodging, of course, made up the three pillars of tourism, but there's a fourth that is probably just as important, souvenirs. We may need the first three, but we want the latter. In addition to the three essentials, uh, entrepreneurs started establishing roadside attractions, places that were seldom short on kitsch and camp and high on trinkets that folks would like to take home. And sometimes those attractions also included experiences that could easily be called entertainment. Over the years, the American roadside has witnessed the arrival of Wall Drug in South Dakota in 1931, the Wisconsin Dells that same year, Rock City in Tennessee the next year, Orlando's Gatorland in 1949, Amarillo's The Big Texan in 1960, and then The Thing in Arizona in 65, and back in Amarillo, the Cadillac Ranch here in 1974. They are each renowned in their own way, and they sometimes attract millions of travelers each year as they engage in what we call the Great American Road Trip. They are part of our collective highway pop culture, but for the most part, they are the product of early to mid-20th century when car culture was just gaining traction. And then there's completely new roadside attractions like in Missouri in 2014 and more recently in Indiana in 2022. If you haven't been to either Uranus Fudge Factory, you're just driving in the wrong direction. Our guest today is Louis Keene, self-proclaimed mayor of Uranus, owner of these two locations and highway showman writ large. Cue the cheeky humor and snicker as much as you like, folks. Louis is all about making money and putting smiles on people's faces. Louis, what's it like being mayor of a place that technically isn't even on the map? So, Nick, what you're saying is, is that even if you had a map, you couldn't find your anus? <laughs> That's just a point. Just wasn't enough. Um, you know what? It's a lot of fun. And, you know, when you're giving that great intro which i think uh thank you for you were saying louis all about making money and putting smiles on people's faces you know that it's kind of be reversed because the most important thing is i'm doing is i'm putting smiles on people's faces i'm making them laugh and i always say if you make people laugh you're going to make money at some point and that actually seems to work out well, that's great. And, you know, you're right. You got to remember, I'm a business professor, so money always comes first. But, but yeah. you, you do have it right. You got to have the smile before the money starts coming out. Um, some scientists pronounce the name of the seventh planet Uranus, but there are some who argued for Uranus. I'm pretty sure I know which one you use all the time, right? Because it's all about wordplay. But how in the world did you settle on this? Well, I mean, you know, if you wanted to call it Pluto, and then you find out Pluto is not a planet, you have to go somewhere else, don't you? Yeah. So that's right. we picked Uranus because you couldn't do Mars. And, all right, you know, we were actually kind of sitting around 2004, group of us, and we we're talking about our local area. And uh, of course, we have Devil's Elbow, and uh, we're near Fort Leonard Wood, and they call it Fort Lost in the Woods. And someone said, well, what do you, should they call St. Robert? And they made a very derogatory term. But then I, I twisted, I said, well, it could be Uranus. And I was like, no, we need to be Uranus. I go, that would just make every, this time I had bars and a, a sports bar and grill uh, tattoo studio up here on this property. But uh, that's, you know, really, we, at first it was going to be about T-shirts. Fudge didn't even come yet, come into the equation yet for a few more years. Well, why did you want to revive what had seemingly become the lost art of crafting a roadside attraction? I mean, that's so mid-20th century. Couldn't you have just built a big gas station and convenience store? I mean, that seems to be working pretty well for Bucky's these days. Well, you know, so Bucky's wasn't, I didn't. I didn't even learn what a Bucky's was. Someone told me about it 
maybe in 2018. They go, oh, you got to go look at a Bucky's. They're so cool. And they are. Um, but I'm not really the same thing. I don't see Bucky's as a roadside attraction. It's just, uh, to me, it's just kind of uh, the Walmart of convenience stores. Yeah, there's cool stuff in it. Don't get me wrong. Really well branded. Uh, marketing's really good. I'm trying to build something different. I'm, I kind of like that throwback feel of the 1950s and 60s. Uh, during the you know late 60s and early 70s, I was traveling with my grandparents, my parents, all up and down Route 66. We own livestock markets and bought cattle. And, you know, I just have so many fond memories of it. And I mean, you know, our, our kids going to have a fond memory of just going in a great big convenience store. And that's just my opinion. Um, and I just want to be something different. People walk around, have laughs, you know, pet the alien and everybody's screaming and laughing and playgrounds. Uh, I just don't know how you'd have a better life than that, you know, as a kid going up and down and an adult because we have a little bit of everything for everybody. I love the story of the first time you were making fudge and how you had to ramp up quickly because of unexpected instant success. How did this all unfold? I mean, tell me that story again. Well, you know, it's um, who would have thought it would have just boomed like this. I mean, we're in a very small rural kind of area. I know there's a military base next by or, or, you know, next to us. But within 45 miles around us, there's only 250,000 people. And we know we get some interstate traffic. I'd put up a couple billboards at Springfield and then one more closer to us. And I just had no idea it was going to take off this way. So I, I bought one fudge kettle. I looked around different places, tourist place that fudge. Um, and they had one kettle. And I'm like, all right, I'll have one kettle and I'll make all the fudge. And wow, <laughs> I just had no idea how. People were wanting fudge from Uranus. It was just insane. And at that time, I was making 10 flavors. We had 10 flavors of fudge. And I was making it all in one kettle. And my wife would be waitressing. And I'd be making fudge. And it just became a seven-day-a-week job with one. And we made, I made 1,300, a little over 1,300 pounds the first month. The second month, I'm like, I can't keep doing this. I've got to get some help in here. I can't run my other businesses. So the best thing ever happened to me, though, was that when I finally bought that second kettle, they're very, very expensive. And at the time, they were like 6000 bucks, which is hard to do. You know, it's a small business, so it took us that long to save the money. And then that was like a life changer to have two kettles at once. So what is it about fudge? I mean, why fudge? I mean, the obvious yuck, shock appeal? Or do travelers just get these massive fudge cravings while they're traveling in a car? I mean, I've seen fudge being sold at a lot of roadside attractions through the years, like the Dells. I mean, what does fudge have to do with the Dells? What does fudge have to do with traveling? What does fudge have to do with your anus? <laughs> that should be the question. Uh, no, I mean, like, right. So that's actually kind of how I, like I said, you know, originally it was, you know, this is more about us making funny T-shirts and just having funny signs as being ha-ha. And fudge really came a few years later, and that was because as I was traveling back and forth, there was a roadside, a little roadside attraction, candy shop. They said fudge, and I'm like, well, why wouldn't you have fudge from your anus? That just makes total sense. Um, but I want to disagree that it's a yuck shock appeal. It's strictly a shock appeal because so many people love you. Yeah, there's going to be those people say yuck, but I feel that way about pickles. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It just makes, you know, it just makes sense. If every, if all these other places are doing it, these other tourist deals, then you know if you're building a tourist place, you better put in something that's at every one of them, right? So you need to make your own fudge, even if it wasn't named Uranus. In an interview I had with you last year for a magazine article, you said, I am a marketer. We are in the marketing business, not the fudge business. Tell me some more about that. Well, I think every business needs to think of themselves as a marketing business, not a whatever business they're in. Yep, you need to excel at those points, but if people don't know about you, you're not going to survive. We're not talking about sales, really not even about advertising. So, you know, advertising, marketing, sales are all three different things. And we're just trying to tell a story. And Fudge is a great, funny part of it. Uh, we bought a brand out of Springfield back in 2020. And... It's called Redneck Nuts. It was distributed within the state. 
we've kept it only in-house and online. We may add that, but you know, you think about these different brands that, that, that all work together. One of, one of my partners is a world famous glass blower. And I always tell him this story, why Uranus. And he's got work in the Smithsonian and, and museums all over the world. And he's just an old, come from an old sod farm. And, and he taught at University of Kansas for many years as a professor. But smooth the wire is, you know, or barbed wire is what they use out on the plains or wherever to keep cattle in, right? So he's got that barb to keep those cattle in. And he said, safe art is like smooth wire. You've got to have a barb on it to get people's attention. And I think that says it all. I tend to agree with you. I, I couldn't have said it better. That should be in a textbook, Louie, you know? It will be. Yeah, no, I'm already, he's on some of my, his great sayings. <laughs> Um, you selected an interesting place for your first shop, which, you know, you've, you've said you were actually doing stuff there as early as 2004, located along a stretch of old Route 66 in central Missouri that also happens to cross I-44. You pretty much have a dedicated exit right there to get travelers on both roads. And the, the nearest burg is Devil's Elbow, which paints a pretty rural picture. Why here? Well, first of all, there is a military base here at St. Robert in our county. And I was down at the main gate, and um, this property came up available. This was in 2000. We bought it. Um, and, you know, what Route 60, just to be honest, Route 66 wasn't even on our mind. The interstate, we liked having it, and the military base. That was what that was about. The bars, nightclubs. Uh, sports bar and grills, tattoo shops. So you, you were looking mostly at, uh, well, a lot of local people who are somehow military. Uh, involved we were, in the military. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's what we were, military. So, and then over the years, especially after we started thinking about it, we saw the value of, of Route 66. Now, tell me about the growing list of products and attractions that you have at both uh, the Missouri and the Indiana locations. Is it possible to get people off the road, not just for 15 minutes, but maybe an hour or more? Uh, I mean, so, yeah, have, yeah. You be, have you become that destination and not just a quick stop? So, yeah, you know, that's always one of the things you want to, you know, accomplish. As long as you keep them there, the more money they're going to spend. And when we had the pandemic, we actually have some businesses that, are, that I still haven't reopened. And is because I've committed so much to these, some of these other projects and didn't have the extra money to reopen them. And we're slowly working on getting that, plus buying another location. Uh, Missouri, we have the Uranus Fudge Factory, and it is so much fun stuff in there. We have the Uranus Sideshow Museum, which I, in uh, 2018, I was able to acquire the world's largest, oldest, oldest uh, traveling sideshow and added it to my own collection and created this museum. And we have, you know, Sword Swallower there. And, oh, it's just so much fun. We have... The Uranus Ice Cream Parlor, that's going to be a little bit different than what we're doing in Indiana, but we're going to bring Indiana to here. It's a different story in a second. We have uh, Uranus Putt Pirates Mini Golf. We are in construction. I don't know how long it's going to take on a fried chicken restaurant. We're going to, we used to have escape rooms and we're bringing them back, escape Uranus escape rooms. Um, and that's kind of what we're, our plans for here. Oh, we've got a mining sluice and mining company little store. It's really cool. Coming in 2023 as well. So that's really our plans for this year, which is a lot. And in Indiana, we've just opened our store. We haven't been open a year yet. And then we've got our big ice cream shop opening. You know, we make our own super premium ice cream there. 14% butter, fat, all natural ingredients, 32 flavors. Fabulous. And we'll grow more there. Right now, we're just kind of, we wanted to focus this year here because we spent so much time there in Indiana last year, just kind of getting everything in play. Of course, limited money, the, the bane of all entrepreneurs, I guess, <laughs> never enough Oh, money. yeah, absolutely. But sounds like what you could really use, especially at the Missouri location, is a motel. So we're working on that. It's kind of funny. I actually had someone come up and offer me one for a sale the other day. So, um, you know, though... I want to build an, uh, an old style, a motor court. I have a motor court idea of where I like you take each court or each building is some 
is a replica somewhere that was famous, you know, on the route, maybe, maybe even on Highway 6, you know, the really famous motor court hotels that have been torn down and I can recreate them like the, uh, what is it called? The Coral Courts in St. Louis. Uh, there's some several different of the giraffe stone rock places that could be replicated. You, but you know what I'm saying, right? Absolutely. That would that would be a nice throwback. I think it would be, it would be a nice compliment. And you know, if you get people to spend the night, they're just going to spend even that much more money. Spend more money and and going to laugh more and make more pictures and share it with their friends and and that's that's what the whole game is. That's why you're a marketing business, right? Absolutely. Um, you've you've mentioned a little bit about the decade prior to the opening of uh, Uranus in Missouri. Uh, you had some other enterprises going. Uh, tell us about those. And were they all at this particular location or or elsewhere? So I originally started out by the main post with a bar, and it was a gentleman's club. So I want to just tell everybody, don't ever do that. So. In my competitive nature, I had to put everybody else out of business. So after I closed, got the last one where I beat them down, then I closed mine. It's just my competitive nature. Um, so, uh, but don't ever do that. And then we had sports bar and grills, nightclubs, uh, all the stuff on this property, uh, tattoo studio. And then we started with some little food trucks and we just keep adding more and more stuff. And, then I added um, the Fudge Factory in 2015, and then we closed most. We closed most barn grill, all the barn grill stuff down 2018, 2019. So, um, Jessica Heron once said, "You have to see failure as the beginning in the middle, but never entertain it as an end." I don't know a single entrepreneur who didn't fail somewhere along the way, and I'm sure you're no different. What are some of the hits along with the misses, both before and after Uranus? There's been several. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, there's one, there's a saying I don't like people say, and I'm glad you said that. People are always like, I've learned more from my failures than I have from my successes. Well, I'm like, well, what, that's the craziest thing I ever heard. You want to learn more from your successes. You don't want to learn from failures, except don't do that again. That's the only thing you need to learn because what you really want to do is take your successes and build upon them. Um, you know, I reading a book the other day and it's kind of, they made kind of a point. I'll paraphrase in a way, but basically get rid of your dreams, throw them away and only have visions. So I think people who are dreaming, you know, it's easy to wake up and like, Oh crud, man, I'm in the middle of this. I'm not making any money. And now you wake up from that dream you had of the successful business because you really all of a sudden got hard. Well, you just wake up and you quit. If you have a vision and you drive at it, you already know it's going to be hard. And in the middle of it, you still say, you know what? No matter what, man, I'm going to win. That's the difference between successful entrepreneur and people who are just playing entrepreneur. Why did you select Anderson, Indiana as your second location? Um, I've got deep and abiding memories of that place. I mean, I went to college there more than 40 years ago. Oh, well, uh, it's kind of a, another crazy story. I, and this will, Bucky, this will take Bucky on you again. So I was actually looking for a second location. And at the time, I, at this period of time, I was down in Georgia. And I was coming back through, and I had my... Uh, youngest son with me i'm like oh there's this bucky's coming up i've never been one people say go and so we went and we stopped and we looked and i was like okay we're not ready for a second place yet <laughs> we need to be able to produce a lot of our own stuff we need better uh, you know more branded products um, i mean that's a huge facility they have right and i'm nothing in their you know as far as square footage size wise their big ones but, their big ones are 70 to eighty thousand square feet yeah, unbelievable. So, you know, um, I said, we need to be able to make our own beef jerky, make our own candies, make all this stuff. Um, and so I come back home. This was on a Friday that we saw it. I'm home, you know, Saturday. And I was going to build a warehouse at that time um, already here in Missouri. I'm like, man, I probably need to add another 10000 and, you know, figure out how to make this kind of candy. I don't know how to make it. I don't know how to make fudge few other little things i don't know tempered chocolate but 
nothing like what they're doing and these big guys are. Um, and so I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to get this done. I spend all night, you know, I get up, but I get, even going to bed, I'm thinking about it. Get up next morning and I see a story about Goods Candy Shop in Indiana. Um, there was a TikTok and this kid was, don't go to this place. This guy's a misogynist and blah, blah, blah. And I look, you know, in the background on his screen, green screen, it says Goods Candy Shop. I'm like, what's going on here? So I just started pulling that thread. Well, as I pulled the thread, I read the articles that he made a post about um, a hiring post that created a big controversy. And I went and looked at his web, at his Facebook page, and he just posted like an hour before, hey, you know, we haven't really, you know, for the last few years talked about selling. And I think now's just the time. Contact me, left his email. And really by that afternoon, I'd done all the research. I hadn't sent me a bunch of documents. I basically had a gentleman's agreement to buy it. I mean, conditioned on me going and seeing it, which I did two days later, and uh, I bought it. So we can produce all these candies and popcorns and brittles, and we're coming in now. I'm getting ready to make beef jerky. It's pretty amazing. Like I said, I'm going to grow ice cream and a lot more. So it was almost serendipitous that all these things kind of happened at the same time, and opportunity you know the door opened and there you were ready to walk through it that's good um what's coming next to your Uranus, both in missouri and indiana i mean I, I teach this all the time that customers crave new products new experiences but at the same time they love their traditions how do you keep the newness while also retaining some of the old um i, I mean i know you've been shooting some movies i've heard you talk about uh, a brewery at some point What's uh, what's coming next? Yeah, we just actually wrapped up shooting a full-length 90-minute movie called Uranus Attacks. Um, and we do have a brewery. That was going to be part of this that kind of, as we closed our sports bar and grill, we were moving buildings, switching with the sideshow. The pandemic hit, so we kind of got trapped in the middle of it. We got the sideshow moved. But the restaurants, depending on the brewery, that building's built. The uh, most of the brewing equipment's there, but we still take a lot of money to get it, you know, get it where we want it. Now, uh, the name of that's going to be the Uranus Meat and Sausage Company. That's the name of the restaurant. It's going to have some like really cool, you know, 1950s and 60s, 70s vibes, um, and the brewery. So we hope to have that open late 2024 i mean it's really all just kind of sitting there i still got to build a new warehouse but talking about keeping things new and making changes uh i mean just keep your core keep always remember what's that one thing that that uh, got you here and that's a fact we make customers laugh stay within that genre um i always wish i remember little things that i read that i think are very very important and it talks about how when you're expanding and you're wanting to get into all these new things if you draw a circle around everything you do, the next new thing you do needs to almost be touching the outside of that circle. How many other Uranus fudge factories do you do you see in your future? I mean, any particular parts of the country? Uh, I happen to like how Bucky's has systematically expanded across the U.S., typically putting stores a few hundred miles apart. Uh, for example, soon it'll be possible for me to use them as lily pads, if you will, all the way from Amarillo to Daytona Beach. And I know you are also very much aware that while they are, you know, technically a gas station and a sea store, they've become a different kind of roadside attraction. Do you have similar expansion plans? Well, so that's a good question because I think about that a lot. And, you know, I get asked that. But really when I'm thinking about how we formulate what we do going forward, um, we will probably be looking at a number three next year, 2024, maybe to be open in 2025. Um, probably the next one will have some gas pumps, but I'm not going to be like a Bucky's. That's, that's not who we are. Uh, we need more space. We want to be a little different style. I mean, I don't need to replicate them. Um, but I only see us probably putting six or seven of these across the country because I want them to be really where people are saying, hey, we're going to Uranus. So if you have six of them, 
you know, two on the west, two in the middle, two on the east side, you've created a deal where people are almost going to bucket list you. And because of the, you know, because of the way Bucky's is doing it, like you said, several hundred miles apart, and you talk about lily padding, you still got to stop somewhere else. And you know what? It's not that much fun to go, well, I'm going to this Bucky's. Oh, and then the next Bucky's. You want to want some really unique things in the middle. And there's always gaps to fill. And I think it, if I was telling young entrepreneurs this, or old entrepreneurs like me, um, is there's, there's always a gap to fill. So there's a Bucky's going in to Springfield, Missouri, about 80 miles away. And for me, that's about perfect because that's about where you want to start getting off and king again, right? So you're coming out of Texas or come through wherever. You've been to Bucky's. Well, maybe you stop at Bucky's in the Springfield, but as you're driving by, you're going to want to stop by these other fun places. You're not, I don't think the family vacation is going to be like, oh, look at all the Bucky's we went to. Uh, you make right. it, they you... want to go to the Grand Canyon. They want to go. So finding those gaps, that's exactly what Dollar General did to Walmart. They found a gap that wasn't being served by Walmart that they could serve better. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Because when when I'm out traveling and I I may be stopping at, you know, the to see Bucky the Beaver or whatever, right. I already know what's inside. And I've been there, done that. I get gas and coffee and visit the men's room and off I go. I'm not spending yeah. money because it, yeah. it's become predictable, actually. And so... You think about what I'm doing, and someone goes, "Oh, aren't you worried about Bucky's coming?" In? I said, "Bucky's better be worried about me coming." In. <laughs> What's it like to be an entrepreneur? After the break, we'll let Louie answer the age-old question: Are entrepreneurs made, or do they make you? Blogs come in all shapes and sizes these days, and in more cases than not, it's just someone complaining about something. Rare indeed is the blog that actually dives into the business and economics events of the day. Profspeak.com, the official blog of the Paul and Virginia Engler College of Business at West Texas A&M University, is just that. With a staff of seasoned and knowledgeable professors who write a new installment each week, it's not over the top like the others. It's on top of things. We'll look for you down at the corner of thought leadership and societal impact. Check it out at Profspeak.com and stay on top too. Reach for the stars and do it with a WT business degree in hand. For more info, find us at wtmu.edu slash cob or call 806-651-2500. From the Texas Panhandle to the world, we're here to help you reach those stars. Louie, at what point in your life did you realize that you are an entrepreneur? Um, and I would go so far as to say showman because you are much the same way that Amarillo Brothers, Bobby and Danny Lee are at the Big Texan. They sell entertainment. You sell fudge. But there had to be a Genesis moment. What was that? Well, I grew up in, uh, and I don't want to necessarily call them entrepreneurial, just hardworking farm people who own their own farms. And in the livestock, uh, we don't, <clears throat> excuse my grandparents, my parents, my great grandparents all own livestock markets. Um, so I grew up, you know, in business. My dad didn't have a trucking company. Did he also truck the animals? Um, we've always just taught that's what you do. Yeah, you, you work for yourself. You go out here and you work. Um, I've tried working. I've don't say I've tried. I have worked at other places. I'm not a very good employee. I'm not a very good manager. I'm a I'm a creative kind of person. So I learned that don't try to be the things that you're not. It's, that's really slowed me down over the years and hire good managers and hire good, the people to do the things you don't do. Um, I think to be honest with you, it's going to hurt some people's feelings, but I think it's born in you. And I think that it's cultivated by people around you and that, you know, that, um, you know, they're, they're in there they're running their own businesses, not just your parents, but I was around, you know, because they associated with other people owning and running their own businesses. So it's, it's very hard, I think, for someone to walk out of the corporate world a lot of times into the entrepreneurial world because it's so freewheeling compared to the structure. And the same point, entrepreneurs, I would be a horrible teacher. I know a lot of stuff, but I would be a horrible instructor. So you were, make, yeah, you were predestined then to, to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. And I mean, and I've always had this big, crazy personality. 
even as a child, I was a showman. I wanted everybody looking at me. My mom said, because my brother was so good looking, you know, because I get mad because everybody we walk in, everybody flocked to him. She goes, yeah, but look at, he's got the looks, you got the charisma. At the end of the meeting, everybody's with you, so. So this never would have worked had you been born a shy, introverted person, because it's kind of hard to shake those traits if if you're born that way you are you are unabashedly everything uranus and what do you do if you're say one of my college students for example who wants to be an entrepreneur but is kind of a wallflower well i don't think you know it's different kinds of entrepreneurial stuff for each and every kind of, of business not all of them needs that big showman like what i am right so um I think that if you're an entrepreneur and you have a vision of something that you want to build, and notice I didn't say dream again, and you have a vision, something you want to build, you will make it happen. And if you need a big showman, you can hire a big showman. You can hire a front man. That just needs to be part of the steps of you getting there. If you have a vision, go. Every entrepreneur I know makes it a point to get to know customers, um, but that can be tough especially when you have as many as you do. Uh, I imagine, though, that you nonetheless have forged relationships with many of your customers. How do you go about doing this, both at the personal level and maybe in terms of just corporate communications? Uh, how, do you, how do you handle the relationship marketing side of the business? Treat them like citizens. They get to know your citizens. Right, I'm the mayor of your anus. And I... So, Tell you what, a couple of my best friends now come from the from the business. One of them, we made a mistake on an order. I drove it to him in Springfield, Illinois, six hours away, because he had a party that night. And he needed to get it there, and he and I became just best friends from that. Um, I mean, we talk every day, or we're making funny comments on each other's posts. Um, so I have several of those across the country. Um, I've made great business relationships. In fact, it was the, um, from a, something I shot for a commercial from these guys from Utah uh, several years ago. One of them, producer, comedian, writer, he's the one that produced this movie that we get shot. Um, so I'm making all these great, you know, you're making business relationships, you're making friend relationships. I try to shake everyone's hand. This Tiffany, who's my kind of another face of the brand. She made herself into a face of the brand because she understood how important it was to pull pressure off of even me. Um, she has her business card with her email address on it and uh, phone number on the counter. We respond to everybody, even today, with half a million visitors plus to Missouri last year. Um, probably will get that many in Indiana this year, we hope. Should be able to, getting close. Um so, I mean, we're, just, we're like, we're just your mate. We're your mayor, deputy mayor, and we're, we're uh, always available to our citizens. Richard Reed once said, be nicer to your customers than your competitors. That, that's easy on paper because sometimes there are pesky, rude customers who make it hard to be nice. How do you manage to put a smile on your face while simultaneously putting one on theirs? So I have uh, several things in my life that have served me well. A, the customer is not always right. You, you do what's right. And it doesn't matter how much that customer complains. If you know you're, I, I don't believe in the, you, uh, you know, people come up and complain because they want free stuff a lot of times. Just don't give it to them because they won't respect you for it anyway. And uh, they'll just think they got one over and how stupid you are. You'll know what's legit or not over time. It sometimes it takes a little learning, and you just be like, you know what? Even if I try to make them happy, they're not going to be happy. There's no point in trying. Sometimes uh, you just gotta you gotta cut bait, is the old saying, and just recognize it's going to happen. <laughs> One of our emphases here in the College of Business is entrepreneurship, and we want to train the next generation of businessmen and women who will be opening shops, founding technology firms, or maybe even opening the next roadside attraction. What do you think are the most essential traits for a budding entrepreneur? 
Well, number one is, and I, I know I repeat it over and over, is just have that vision and then working down all the steps for you to reach that vision. And you make that vision big, you know, make it ginormous. And man, once you start writing, you'll be like, oh, this is too big. And then just start writing the steps back and you'll realize, hey, I can do that. Um, having drive, but you're going to have to be willing to sacrifice, right? I mean, a lot of people think I want to open up the business so I spend more time with my family. So, but unless your family is spending time with you in the business, you're not going to be at home more. You're going to be home much, much less. So you have to be willing to make some sacrifices. And it's going to take, no one gets rich quick. I'm, um, I've been here in St. Robert now, uh, what is this, 25 years this year. Yeah, so I'm getting there, Nick. I'm getting there. <laughs> and you'll always be like land rich or business rich and cash poor. Boy, that's You've just got to learn how to live with it. Yeah. What kind? How, what kind of hours do you put in each week? I mean, I, I see your Facebook posts and everything. It's like this dude never sleeps. Right, and I mean, look at Facebook. I'm like, man, I wish I get rid of Facebook, but I know it's a, you know for myself to it. But it's such a part of our business model. Um, I haven't turned the radio on in my vehicle, and I make long drives in Indiana in a couple of decades. I just don't turn it on. All I'm doing is thinking about business. How does this work? How does that flow? Hey, what's some funny new this or that? Because there's always new funny puns to make or funny new things today. And I am always thinking about business. It doesn't matter where I am or what I'm doing. So in that case, I guess I'm working every minute of the day, aren't I? Yeah, pretty much. But that uh, that tells me that it has consumed you, and, and but in a good kind of way, because maybe not a good way. No. So I actually want to warn that off a little bit. Okay. You got to start. Yeah. Maybe maybe that's not always a good thing, because sometimes you let it consume you, and there's more to life than just business. Huh? What about your family? Are they are they supportive? I mean, do you get to see them enough? Because I know it's. I, not, do it's I get to see them enough? No, probably not. But are they supportive? Yes. That's good. Uh, I'm making it a big motion in my life. I brought some people in here even in the last few months to help us streamline our operations and make things much, much easier. Um, guys, I, I come from an agriculture background. I studied ag economics in college. This isn't what I was, you know, what th thought I was going to be doing. Um, my dad always told me I dream too big. But... Um, Apparently I did, and now I built it. <laughs> but so I've lost my train of thought on that. <laughs> well, you know, you've mentioned the driving back and forth between Missouri and Indiana in about six hours or so. It's kind of funny. Out here in West Texas, we say we're only six hours from Dallas or or only six hours from the mountains. Right. Well, when we go to Dallas, we haven't even gone across half the state yet. And, and <laughs> it's six hours. But in the Midwest, where you're crossing part of Missouri, all of Illinois, and half of Indiana, it suddenly sounds a lot farther, doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, I've, I grew up, like I said, my dad order bought and stuff, a truck company, so I used to be long drives. But yeah, well, you you guys in Texas, wow, <laughs> it's a different perception. <laughs> I think we just drive faster. That's all. And you drive faster, <laughs> yes. As, but you know what? It's fine. I I love driving through Texas, especially in the more rural areas. Is just the most polite drivers in the country. Faster, yeah. but more polite. Yes. And, and and what about your neighbors? Those you know nearby in Missouri and Indiana. What do they think about your business, your showmanship, all the cheeky humor? I mean, at least. The ones in Missouri have had a, a long time now to get used to it. What about the folks in Anderson who lost a nice traditional candy shop and all of a sudden here comes Louis Keene with Uranus and all of his humor? Do, do they just roll their eyes? Uh, do they see you as an economic engine? Tell so they more. see our economic engine. They definitely see that. Yes, there are people who won't come to uranus because it was good i mean you know they they were they're used to that very traditional high-end we still have high-end candies we just market them different um but and they had the ice cream store there too um you know there would be probably 10 or 15 percent of the people that were coming before that i know for a fact aren't coming because you just hear it online or you, know, you see it but we've more than um 
Well, we're about four times busier revenue-wise than what the company I bought was in the candy store. This doesn't include their ice cream because their ice cream isn't open yet. So I removed their ice cream. So we're about four times busier. So therefore, I kind of feel like looks like people love us. You're always going to have people not like you. Who cares? I don't care about those people. I don't care about their opinion. I don't even really think about them. I just don't care. They're not coming anyway. Only worry about the people who love you. When we come back, we'll look into the future and what American roadside attractions might look like in the years ahead. There's a reason why our programs are rated so highly by independent reviewers. We are committed to continuously improving what we do. Whether it is in the classroom or online, the Paul and Virginia Angler College of Business strives to stay ahead of the curve, not behind it. Join us in the classroom or online and see the difference. We're WCSB accredited and among the most elite business schools around the world. Reach for the stars and do it with a WT business degree in hand. For more info, find us online at wtamu.edu slash cob or call 806-651-2525. From the Texas Panhandle to the world, we are here to help you reach for those stars. Louie, it's undeniable that you peddle kitsch, but it's a very different kind of kitsch compared to the roadside attractions that opened up 90 years ago. Uh, you know, the thing in Arizona is predicated upon a mysterious object. The Big Texan is all about watching people suffer through a massive stake. Gatorland addresses our fears by allowing us to see these deadly reptiles at a safe distance. And, of course, the Cadillac Ranch, which only started merchandising its attraction two years ago, appeases our inner graffiti artist. Meanwhile, you sell fudge and T-shirts. Where do you see roadside kitsch, or I mean roadside attractions, going in the future? Well, first thing I'm going to do, I'm going to beg to differ with you. We, first of all, sell fun and laughs. <laughs> um, and people just have to take those products with them because they're going to fun and have some fun and laugh at them. But they've been laughing for 80 miles from what they tell us when they see our first billboards. Um, I see ro- the the roadside attraction becoming more and more consolidated um i know we talk about like bucky's and bucky's for example has been fined in alabama this is a marketing tactic i've read that they do uh and i can say it definitively because i know they've been fined in alabama for it is lowering the price of their gas below even their cost to break the nearby competitors um so you know just like back in the 80s would always say hey they walmarted all those little businesses out of business people will learn how to adapt to it but even then you need some size and scale um so i do see a consolidation in it however when we talk about roadside attractions you know the world's largest uh having some dinosaurs making those things a lot of people are starting to think about oh you know here comes all this uh, ai and led neons and all the different things that i'm more of a traditionalist and i believe that as long as you can stay true to what you're doing and it doesn't matter whether it's me with kitschy 66 with real neon and i'll have a little bit of led in some places on some inside signs but um if you're trying to stay true to yourself and what you're going to build and build those kind of attractions where people want to stop and interact not like what you're saying when you're like, hey, I want to stop at a Bucky's. I'm just going to run in and get my gas run and pee because you've been there a hundred times before. Um, here you're going to want to stop and walk around. Our average customer stays about an hour right now. That's according to Google. What do modern travelers find entertaining today that they might not have liked years ago? And for that matter, what worked in the past but no longer has as much flash and flair as it once did i mean 75 years ago people paid good money to look down into a concrete pit to view rattlesnakes i doubt right. they, i doubt they would do that today oh you might be surprised if you had it in the right spot doing the right thing there would be people i would want to go see a pit full of rattlesnakes <laughs> just tell you my personal opinion um and I think that's really what's important is we're not going to make everything for everybody, right? So even if it's, you know, the fudge from Uranus, you still sometimes see the spouse of the other person who walked in who's laughing. The spouse is not at all amused. 
Um, but one of them wanted to come in. So what would have been, you know, like right now we, uh, we, we depend on what I kind of call the shock factor, right? So I don't think Uranus would have worked 25 years ago. I think it would have been just pushing the line a little too much, or maybe 30 years ago. Might have pushed the line a smidgen too much. We would have probably been some customers and, we, and visitors, but we wouldn't be as busy as we are today at this level. Um, some of those things like pet the alien, when, when you go into pet, it blows air on your hand, a big knocker. I think that there might have, especially older people at the time, would not have found that as amusing. You know what I mean? Um, oh, and the other part of that was, what do we do today? You know, and I think some of that's exactly what it is. We press lines. We make people laugh. Um, even the thing, you know, they've remodeled and they're, they're just booming now. It's just creating that air, that, you know, that mystery of what it is. And then making it fun and treating your customers well as they come through. As I always say, our customers are, no, our fudges are number two because our customers are number one. Our culture has changed considerably in recent years. Uh, in, in the old days, meaning like middle of last century, a lot of roadside attractions uh, appropriated Native American culture and artifacts thereof. You know, they made a big deal out of selling moccasins and tomahawks and feathers, you know, all that, all the stuff basically. But we really can't do that so easily today because uh, you might take a lot of criticism for having appropriated somebody else's culture. Do you ever feel like you're walking on eggshells so that you don't offend someone with the things you sell? Or do you just wing it and let the pieces land where they may? I mean, I wing it not because I don't care. <laughs> I really, honestly, I don't care. And I'm not doing anything to go out here and make any culture look bad, but I just don't care about those people's opinion. They can go out and whine. I'm, if I can hold my head up high, and I'm with my family and my friends and my associates, then I'm not worrying about what a few uh, a few people's opinion is on that. Because typically, when you'll find out that their opinion is wrong, the actual culture says they don't care. Um, I want to talk about another roadside attraction of sorts, and this is the revival of the Stuckey's brand. Brought, right. brought oh, about, I love it. Yeah, brought about by Stephanie Stuckey, the granddaughter yeah. of the founder who bought the company back in 2019. Her approach is different from everyone else because she now licenses the name, manufactures the candies for them to sell. Um, there, there are actually only 14 original Stuckey's left in the U.S. Uh, you know, they were once all corporately owned. Now they're individually owned. Um, I've been to four of them They're they all tend to be in the south i guess uh but everybody yeah, else them. yeah everybody else who is either putting on the stuckey's name now or carries her candies are basically doing it under some type of a licensing arrangement uh, but the whole thing is predicated on nostalgia i mean there's hardly anybody your age or my age who didn't stop at one of those on family road trips and you know bought a pecan log roll I still do. I still stop with my family at Stuckey's when I'm in the South and my con law girls. I love Stephanie. She is great. I've met her. I've met uh, some of her senior team. Um, oh, I just, I wish her so much luck in what she's doing because it is fabulous. Um, and I think that she's even discussing, you know, she's trying to buy, find locations for some of the originals. And, and I think, I mean, she may have changed since I've talked to her last, but, you know, and even opening still someone with the brand. Very good. Uh, it's so great that she's able to do that. And, you know, it's, that's kind of what I'm building in a way is that nostalgia. You know, there's, we get a ton of buses stop here. They're on the way to Branson a lot of times where, and, you know, here you have all these senior citizens and they just love exactly what we're doing. Oh, I remember seeing this. Or I remember one time we we're on the road and they had something very similar to that. So, yeah, no, that's exactly what we're all about. Yeah, nostalgia sells. And, um, and especially to um, an older demographic who who have the two most important ingredients for tourism, which is time and money, basically. Time and money. <laughs> yep, that's it. <laughs> Do you, do you ever think we'll become so busy that we don't want roadside attractions that 
people see them as distractions and nothing more, that people would really rather just reach their destination instead of enjoying the journey? I hope not. I, I truly hope that we, you know, it's gotten bad. You know, it seems like we're all buried in our phones and our computer screens all the time. Um, I think there's always going to be a place for uh, roadside attractions because of that. Because you know what? Let's get the kids off their phones and let's get out here and play a game of putt-putt. Or you know, let's walk around, play on the playground, get some ice cream before we get on the road. And creating those stops. Uh, I think there's always going to be a place for a roadside attraction. Louie, how long do you see yourself doing this? Last I checked, you're 58. Uh, not exactly yes. not exactly a spring chicken. Not a spring but chicken. But not too old for rock and roll either. So what's your end game? Do you, do you think your kids will want to take over? Or? That's what I'm hoping. That's the game plan is yeah. the kids and the grandkids and just build this, uh, you know, just make it into something fun so we can entertain, make people laugh across the, across the world, actually. Our guest today has been Louie Keene, owner of Uranus Fudge Factories in Missouri and Indiana, and coming soon maybe to a location near you. He is a true roadside attraction guru. You've been listening to Buff Speak from the Paul and Virginia Angler College of Business at West Texas A&M University. Our executive producer is Justin Lovell, and Allison Hunter is our associate producer. Our co-editors are Maverick Evans and Paul Torres. Lindsay Bjork is our Director of Marketing and Outreach Initiatives, which includes overseeing BuffSpeak. Dr. Jeffrey Babb is Director of Accreditation and is our Technical Consultant. Finally, Dr. Amjad Abdullah is Dean of the College. You can find us online at wtamu.edu cob for more information about our programs. Be sure to check out our many academic offerings Come for the quality, stay for the small classes, affordable tuition, and friendly approachable professors. And look online at our faculty blog, profspeak.com, for more insights. You can listen to BuffSpeak on your favorite podcast portal, as well as on our website, buffspeak.biz. And if you like what you've been hearing, don't be afraid to share us with your friends, colleagues, and family. Word of mouth has always been the best form of advertising. Until next time, love one another. For the Paul and Virginia Angler College of Business at West Texas a and University, I am Dr. Nick Gerlich. And as always, go Buffs! Buff Speak.